Welcome to the Patrick Henry Podcast, where we hold the elite establishment of the West's feet to the fire uh, for their many mistakes and corruptions over the last generation, as part of an example for why the area is going through social decline. Now, if you want an example of social decline, I can think of no better than the recent eighth grade American history scores, the national tests that the teachers' unions want us to do away with, Of course they want us to do away with the teachers' unions, want us to do away with national testing because it'll prove the kids don't know anything. Confident teachers, and I've been a professor, want every grade to be published in the newspaper, which, by the way, in Britain they actually do uh, publish final grades. Uh, Mine, I found out my scores in college in the Times of London, which was a nerve-wracking experience, and I was on a train and opened the paper, and there were my results. Uh, Uh, I don't think I've ever been so nervous in my life, but that is a confident system, the one at St. Andrews, where they're happy to publish the grades of their better students, Uh, as opposed to our teachers' unions who want to keep this all secret, and better yet, let's do away with all forms of meritocratic testing as racism, let's do away with national testing, let's do away with SATs, let's do away with ACTs, because this is all so terribly unfair to hold people to standards. By the way, I find that the most racist thing you can say, as though minorities, African-Americans, Hispanics, Asian-Americans can't do well on testing. Of course they can. It's up to us to do better by them. Instead of pretending, let's do away with it all. We're all equal. We're socialists. We're all equal. Heading down, as Mrs. Thatcher said to me at one point, Socialism brings only poverty. It's been proven time and time again. The reason is it doesn't have any standards. And so these teachers want to do away with the standards because we'll realize, as we did during COVID, they're not very good at their jobs. And we've just seen that occur. I've been a teacher, so I know what I'm talking about here. I'm a spy in the house of love, to quote Jim Morrison. The reality is eighth graders did horribly on the test. 40% of them outright flunked basic American history in eighth grade, with only 13 to 15 percent doing well, creditable, being proficient on the test, and everyone else limping through. So 40 failed, 15 did well, and everybody else limped through. Not remotely good enough. And these standards are falling because we aren't holding our elite to accountability. We're distracted by breads and circuses. I adore sports, but it's a bread and circus. I follow the Cleveland Guardians religiously every morning and get my heart broken. I'm glad I do that. It's a nice part of life. But in our modern society, it's overwhelmed the part of life when you care about test scores more than Guardians results. And for many people, let's be honest, they simply don't. As Churchill said, you get what you deserve in a democracy. And this is a huge problem. But we're not holding our elite feet to the fire, to push the educational establishment, to stop trying to indoctrinate children with a left-wing view, critical race theory, talking to eight-year-olds about sexuality of any kind, of any kind. And instead, let's teach them math, English, and history. And we seem to have forgotten that. Often when groups are told to do other things, like the Fed is told to worry about more than inflation, it stops worrying enough about inflation. When we tell teachers to do things other than teach, they don't do very well. And instead, they worry about transgender realities. They worry about sexuality for eight-year-olds. They worry about being woke. And instead, they don't worry nearly so much as they should about teaching math, English, and history. And let me tell you, as somebody who hires people out of school from the best universities, in my case, because I have the privilege to run a political risk business, and we do get the best and the brightest 
They know infinitely less than we did when we graduated just a generation ago. And that's the fault of an elite not putting the teachers' union standards feet to the fire. And worse, this elite is often corrupt. And this leads me to today's topic. Joe Biden's family corruption and its cover-up is hidden in plain sight. Um, there's a variation of this joke told all over the world, but I'll tell the Washington version. What's a thousand lawyers at the bottom of the Potomac? That's a good start. And everybody has a version of this joke. The idea that there are too many lawyers, that they don't add any value, and that they're a pernicious influence on society. And having been in Washington, I can't think of a town with a higher lawyer to human per capita. Why does this matter? Because it means in the field of politics, we make every policy disagreement and every immorality, and we make every immorality and every policy disagreement a form of law. We make it a legal problem. Everything is seen in legal terms. When many things are much clearer analytically, when they're not seen in legal terms, when instead they're seen as what they are, immorality. I am still as a voter allowed to say that something is immoral. For instance, and I'll start with one on the right, whether you think Donald Trump committed treason on January 6th or not, and I don't for the simple reason that proving Donald Trump's intent on January 6th is almost impossible, meaning I don't know legally what he had in his mind. To guess what he had in his mind is almost impossible. And we go down this rabbit hole with Trump. Did he do something illegal on January 6th? And in doing so, we ignore the obvious. Whatever he did on January 6th, reasonable people, Democrats, independents, and Republicans can surely say that on January 6th, Donald Trump failed his oath of office, was not protecting the Constitution, was behaving utterly irresponsibly, was winking at the mob, was not calling off the violence quickly enough, was not protecting Vice President Pence quickly enough, that whether it was illegal or not, it was shockingly immoral. Shockingly immoral. And he was not living up to the best standards of the presidency on January 6th. That we can all agree to. And that puts what he did in an entirely different light. Because when we talk about the law, we predictably divide up tribally, as we always do, with Republicans with good cause saying, we can't prove the intent of Donald Trump, so he's not guilty of January 6th crimes. And the Democrats say he is. This misses the entire point because we've let lawyers run our society to no good effect for far too long. It is not a legal question. It is instead a moral question. And morally, Donald Trump on January 6th behaved appallingly. We all must agree to that reality. But if we talk about the law, in effect, he can walk between the raindrops with half the population. The same kind of process is going on with Joe Biden and his family corruption at present. By making this a legal case, we're ignoring the corruption that's hidden in plain sight that's right in front of our noses, which is what we should be talking about when we evaluate Joe Biden's fitness for the presidency now and next time around. And just this last week, we see that the Biden campaign helped gin up the dis disinformation about Hunter Biden's laptop. This was just a couple weeks before the election. It was a very close election. 
And the New York Post ran an excellent story. And for some reason, they didn't win an award, whereas the New York Times won awards for, for printing disinformation about Donald Trump. Instead, the New York Post ran a story that was correct. And what did they get for their pains? They were banned from Twitter for running the story. And in fact, it is clear now that a series of senior intelligence age, military foreign policy types, the guys I run into at cocktail parties and conferences, got together and set up a letter saying that the taking of Hunter Biden's laptop and on this laptop were all kinds of details. And no, I don't care that much about Hunter and the prostitutes, Hunter smoking crack, Hunter being the first class jerk that he certainly is, the entitled mediocrity that he certainly is. All that's to judge, but he's not running for office. But there were details about the Biden family business on the laptop. And rather than look at these objectively, though the New York Post was actually founded by Alexander Hamilton and has a very good track record of running serious journalism, if from the center right, I read it every day, I think it's a great paper. Rather than looking at what the New York Post was saying, instead, the Biden administration to be that the campaign frantically went around to 50 senior national security experts, former CIA directors, deputy directors, people like this, and had them put out a letter saying that the laptop bore all the signs of Russian disinformation, that it was a Russian plant, which has been the Democrats' fantasy about Donald Trump's campaign and Republicans for the last eight years. People will look back historically, I guarantee, and in line with McCarthyism and red scares in the 50s, We'll look at Russia scares from the Democrats that were unproven, as is McCarthyism. We'll look at these smears on Republicans in much the same way historically as appalling. But instead, and indeed, without knowing anything about the laptop, these 50 people being Democratic hacks, being members of the foreign policy blob, the establishment, what do they do? They immediately sign this letter and then call the whole thing into question. And worse yet, the Biden campaign helped set up this letter through Tony Blinken. It's very clear. Former Deputy CIA Director Mike Morell under oath said that Blinken was organizing it. Blinken is now our Secretary of State. He was a senior foreign policy aide to Biden at the time. Tony's been around forever as a leading Biden loyalist since I was in D.C. 20 years ago. And he's still organizing this letter of supposed experts that said this was disinformation about the laptop. And Morell said under oath, and I love the charming honesty of Mr. Morell, he said, oh, of course we did it because we wanted to get Biden elected. I mean, it couldn't be clearer. At least the man has the honesty or the, the, the integrity to under oath tell the truth, which we, we don't hear enough of. And that's a breath of fresh air, though it shouldn't be. It is. And so Tony Blinken, think of this, the Secretary of State in waiting organizes a letter with a bunch of supposedly neutral but all left-leaning Wilsonian members of the foreign policy establishment to say a laptop they know nothing about with Biden family finances on it is a product of Russian disinformation. And then in the last debate, Joe Biden uses the, this very letter that Tony Blinken and the blob came up with, and he uses the letter as an independent source to discredit Donald Trump's assault on him for the Hunter Biden laptop. And so this gives Biden the opening to dismiss the New York Post story, even though he must have known, or he certainly, if he's cognitively all there, should have known that his campaign generated the very evidence he's using to say this objectively disproves the laptop.
Why would you go to all this trouble of generating evidence to use it as evidence to discredit the laptop? Because it's true. Because it's true. This is the obvious inference to draw. Because what's on the laptop is true. And more and more and more, we see the Biden family is, is, is simply an organization devoted to influence peddling. And what do I mean by this? Well, let's take a step back. First of all, according to investigations in the House that are now proceeding because the Republicans, thank God, control the House and are subpoenaing records, a huge number of Biden family members are on the international pay payroll of international companies. My favorite is that Biden's daughter-in-law, um, who evidently has a job in a primary school, I think she's a guidance counselor, though I don't know that, I think so, um, she's on the board of some international company, even though she has absolutely no ability to do that job. Huh. Why would you put Biden's daughter-in-law with no skills at all on the board of an international company? Let's think. For that matter, why would you put Hunter Biden, first-class screw-up, on the board of anything? And yet Burisma, a large energy company in Ukraine before the war, put Biden at some huge rate of pay, I believe it's $600,000 a year, on the board. And, and trust me, in my profession too, when you're on the board, that's Valhalla. You've made it when you're on the board. It means you're a serious person giving serious political risk advice to somebody because you have serious credentials and a track record of being a proven brand of intellectual excellence. Does any of this sound like Hunter Biden at all? This is a crackhead a guy who loves prostitutes, a guy who screwed up in literally everything he's ever done. And you put him on the board of Burisma because he's such, he has such great knowledge of energy policy, of Ukraine, of energy flows around the world? Laughable. Of course not. But he's put on the board nonetheless and also has ties to Chinese-controlled state banks and state investment funds in China. Again, because of his expert on international financial flows, because he knows so much about Sino-American relations. I just wrote a chapter. I'm writing it for the book, and I'll talk more about this at the end for The Last Best Hope on Nixon going to China, because he has a Henry Kissingerian-like understanding of the intricacies of Chinese politics at the highest level. The crackhead? No. So the elementary school guidance counselor and the crackhead are on the board, along with Joe Biden's hapless brother, Jim, who seems to be on the board of everything, despite having no skills whatsoever, Jim Biden is a man we would not hire in my firm as an intern. He does not have the background to be an intern. He does not have the education, does not have those abilities. We wouldn't let him get me coffee. And yet all these people are on the boards of things all over the world. For that matter, how is Joe Biden... Uh, who has been a government worker his entire life in the public sector, a millionaire, owning many houses because he's so brilliant at investments, like Nancy Pelosi's family, with these insider knowledge that they have. Again, not illegal, utterly immoral. Joe Biden, who has only ever had a government job, has been a senator for the vast majority of his life, then vice president, then a tiny break, and then president. Okay, he should have, he should be a member of the upper middle class. He should be doing very well indeed if he shepherded his money, invested it wisely. He should have wonderful benefits. Nobody's arguing this, as he should, 
for having been a senator all those years, vice president, etc. He should be doing just fine. And perhaps even at the end, he should now be rich because as a vice president after that, he'll be sitting on the boards of various things. As a senator, he couldn't. After his vice presidency, he could quickly cash in and make a little bit of money. This is how the world I live in works. That would be fine. And yet the guy is obviously a multimillionaire. How? Public worker millionaire. So let's just review using our super secret power of logic. The daughter-in-law, the primary school guidance counselor, is on the board of directors of things. I know major political risk firm leaders who aren't on the board of anything, who I work with, who, who could enhance any board. They're not there, but the primary school guidance counselor is on the board. The crackhead is on the board of things, okay? And Joe Biden, government worker, is a multimillionaire. How? How? Because they've been making money through corruption hidden in plain sight. The Democrats are now reduced to arguing that influence peddling is not a crime. This is how bad our lawyer-driven society, lawyers build and create nothing, nothing, add nothing. And we all think about the world through their very perverse lens. And so we make this a legal thing. Joe Biden has not broken the law. Influence peddling, even if it's there, is not a crime. I'll hold that thought. Why do you think Burisma, the Chinese, and others have put the Bidens on these boards? Obviously, it's not for the expertise. Obviously, it's because their last name is Biden, as Hunter Biden has, to his credit, frankly admitted in a number of interviews. And they have been paid a vast amount of money because they are close to Joe Biden. Obviously, they're paying, in Burisma's case, I think it's 600000 a year for Hunter. Obviously, they're paying to get something. They're capitalists. They're not philanthropic. They're capitalists. And they think having Hunter Biden on the board means they will have influence with Joe Biden. Whether they're right or they're wrong, that's what they think, or they wouldn't pay the money. This is simple. This is, again, my super secret power of having a proper St. Andrews education and understanding logic in a Greek kind of way. So they think they're getting something for it or they wouldn't do it. So influence peddling is what's going on here. Is it against the law? I don't care. I don't care. I'm going to play a new game with all those lawyers at the bottom of the Potomac. I'm going to play a new game and say Joe Biden's family is engaging in influence peddling and corruption. I'm not saying it's illegal. I'm saying it's immoral. In the same way, Donald Trump's activities on January 6th were a shameful disregard of his constitutional duties. They certainly were. This is immoral and ongoing. And that the whole family's gotten in on the act means that they're just another low-level mafia family. I've watched this on Netflix a million times. This is not good enough to have this man be president of the United States for moral reasons, not legal reasons. I have no idea if this is breaking of the law. I'm not a lawyer. I don't want to be a lawyer, but I am allowed to draw political conclusions from what is the family corruption being hidden in plain sight. And if we start thinking again with our brains about is something right, should someone who does these things be in high office, I think that analytically, this will break that Gordian knot, and we're going to look at the world again as we really ought to in terms of moral philosophy, as the Greeks said. Is this right? Is this wrong? This has been a family racket 
for most of Biden's lifetime. And having the primary school teacher, the crackhead, the hapless brother, and even Joe himself involved in all this, obviously the folks who gave him the money want a return on investment. That is a conflict of interest, whether it breaks the law or not. I don't want the president mired in this nonsense to enrich the primary school guidance counselor, the crackhead, or the useless brother, or frankly, even Joe Biden himself. So this is a matter of morality. What Joe Biden has done is immoral. I don't care if it's illegal. Thanks very much. Happy to have done this Patrick Henry podcast. Get this off my chest. Joe Biden's family corruption and its cover-up, as was revealed this week, is hidden in plain sight, and we need to use our super-secret power of logic once again to look at the world. For those of you who haven't subscribed, and so many of you have, please do. And for those of you who have, please do give the $70 a year so we can continue to hold feet to the fire of both parties and hold them to a moral standard higher than that of a mafia don. One last thing to say, because so many of you have asked me in the notes and I haven't had a chance to reply. Uh, how's the book going? It's fantastic. Just this last week, uh, we signed off on our contract with our publisher, White Fox Publishers, one of the great publishers coming out of London to really focus on selling this book in the United States first and then around the world. The Last Best Hope, A History of American Realism, uh, where we hope to bind together. This is a political book, not an academic book, politically bind together the Jeffersonian wing of the Republican Party with the Jacksonian populists who are dominating the base of the party. And if we can combine them around the old-fashioned Republican view of realism, I tell 10 Homeric stories in the book as to what American realism is about, how it's helped us in the past, and how it can bind us together and for the future as the dominant view of the Republican Party. Because if we change the Republican Party, we change America. And if we change America, we can change the world. And I'm, I'm writing my third chapter in two months. This is literally all I'm doing. No, I haven't shaven yet. Um, the cats are everywhere, but I'm having a whale of a time writing the book. Um, I'm up to the Nixon on China chapter, then the Ronald Reagan chapter. And when I'm done with that, a grand conclusion, the book will be out in February in time for the Iowa caucuses when we're going to hit the road in the United States, try to meet as many of you as we possibly can and make this book the binding foreign policy glue that binds together the Republican Party. But pre-ordering will happen in the autumn. We're going to talk an awful lot more about the book going forward, but just want to up want to update you. I'm still Compass Menace, still writing away, and things are going great. It's the best book I've ever written. It is my revolver. I will not do better than this. I think to dare more boldly, in, in line with the Beatles, is very much rubber soul. And then this very similar to it, if anything better, is my revolver. And I look forward to going out and meeting so many of you as we sell The Last Best Hope, A History of American Realism, as a political book to bind together the Republican Party for the new beguiling era we live in around a realist foreign policy, which has in the past done so much to help America, as the book will show, and in the future can do even more. Thanks very much. Have a great weekend. Very excited to talk about the book, and now I have to get back to it. Take care.